The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. My wife on the way to church this morning said, do you ever get up in the pulpit and not feel well? I said about half the time. It's pretty amazing how God takes you through things as you step up here to do the will of God and how he'll miraculously help you for the time you need to be. I want to make special prayer in remembrance of Mark Doran. I do not know the outcome, but I do know that he is on the edge of going to heaven. Mark is a strong man. He was a go-getter. He reminded me of Don Woodard a lot. Uh, he's 72 years old, but he had uh, a little something show up, and it turned into being pancreatic cancer. He took a third of his pancreas out, but he's still really, he's had three surgeries in a row. Never left the hospital. They can't stop the bleeding, and his things are shutting down. And according to Marilyn yesterday, he was on the verge of going to heaven. And so uh, just pray that the whole thing may just be God's perfect will. I was looking forward to seeing Mark. He, I called him for the surgery, for his first surgery. He told me I got my my van packed, my motorhome packed, my trailer packed. He's got a little Volkswagen bug he puts in this 20-foot trailer. Everything's ready to go. All I got to do is jump in and be, I'll be south. And uh, he said, once I, once I get done with this surgery. But it not turned out that way. And so I uh, just pray that God, and then, by the way, that's what I keep saying for all of us, amen. Our, you never know when your time is. And be where you should be, when you should be, and God will help you. But we will, if, if he passes on, we're surely going to miss old Mark. I love the brother, but he may be saved still. God may choose to raise him up on this bed of affliction. He rejoices in doing the impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. A familiar passage. Uh, I preach on it in a couple different directions. This morning, this message is brand new to me. I've never done, I've done though this passage before. I've never done this outline as I approached it fresh again because I'm, just excited about uh, the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus and want to make sure they'll keep bringing them before you. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and that's Jesus they're talking about, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into the ships, which was Simon's, that's Peter, you know him by that name, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down in the ship and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. 
And when they had done the, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they, they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fish, which he had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and by the way, Peter, James, and John, that's the group right there. Always mentioned in that order, Peter, James, and John, where they, they called them, it's been called by theologians, the inner circle. And they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their shifts to land, and if you want to circle and underline this next little phrase, they forsook all and followed him. Father, come this morning in the name of Jesus, that name above every name. Open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. We pray that there be people in here with a tender heart to the word of God. May they respond. Lord, if they be hard-hearted, may they be softened and broken. May people in the sound of my voice, there be not one of them miss heaven. May they find Christ. Do thy work in Jesus' name. Amen. What will you do when God comes by? What will you do? Peter, James, and John left their daddy. The Bible says in, in a parallel passage of this that Father Zebedee owned the business. And he had hired help. And his boys with the Zebedee boys, with Zebedee boys as well as Peter, were working in partnership with Daddy Zebedee. And so this was a complicated and interrelated couple family partnership business. Now you may just have read through this and just thought, oh well, that they left, you know, they were fishing of a day and you know they had old junky boat. No, no, this is their this is their business. This is their living. This is the way they ate. This is the way they provided for their families. And they forsook all and followed him is way more impactful if you understand that up front. But what really happened to these, these boys was that God came by their house, if, as it were, that day. He came by them that day. Not much is said from pulpits about this kind of sacrifice. But really, Jesus requires this sacrifice of everyone that's born again. In one way or another, Jesus wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you, doesn't want little of you. He don't work well with casualness. He doesn't work well with carelessness. He works well with all your heart. He works well with this kind of spirit that you see in this passage. And when God comes by your house, he's going he's to test you where you're at. He's going to find out what your reality, as he did these, these boys too. Peter, Jane, James, and John had family responsibility. They were working. They were businessmen. They had an investment. They had boats, two of them. They had nets. 
I'm sure those nets had to be really expensive because they, were, they did not have nylon in that day. They did not have polyurethane. They did not have poly... They, they had, oh, hemp nets or some sort of a handmade... Uh, nor, and it, they broke easily, by the way. And they were hard to ma- maintain, and they rotted. If you didn't let them dry out, they'd rot and, and fall apart. But there was a good future in this business... And fishing's not a bad life. And all the men said, it's what most of you would rather be doing than what jobs you actually have. (laughs) You want to ruin fishing? Make it a business. People tell me sometimes I want to be a professional fisherman. I say, that's a great way to just ruin fishing. Because when you go out fishing casually and you just want to catch a few fish for the day, oh, that's not, there's not much pressure but when your whole livelihood depends on it and the fish don't bite, they get locked jaw, and you go to the wrong place, ooh, the stress level changes on all that. But fishing was a good life. I've been to this lake. I've been to the Sea of Galilee, about seven miles wide and about 11, 12 miles long, deep, beautiful lake can see from side to side. You can see on, on what's not real cloudy. You can see seven miles across the lake easily. And we were on the north part of the lake. We could see the south part of the lake. The, it goes in the Jordan River down in the south, turns in the Jordan River, goes all the way to the Dead Sea. We, we, you can see it. So the size of what we're talking about here is, is, is you can see across. You see from end to end on a clear day. See the little cities that are around it. But something earth-shaking was just about to happen. They were about their daily, normal drudgery. They had fished all night. They had put the nets out, brought them in, put them out, brought them in. They catch, caught all kinds of weeds, all kinds of junk got in there. And they were brought them in the shore. They were, how many work third shift here, amen? How many, were, how many have worked third shift? Anybody in here? You know, what it, you know what it's like to try to get your body to stay up all night. It is, your body does not want to stay up all night. It takes... I worked third shift for about a year and a half, and even at the end of a year and a half, I still wasn't used to it. People kept saying, you'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. After the end of a year and a half, I said, what is, what's it going to happen? These old boys worked third shift. It was drudgery. It was every day, ho-hum. And you know what? Sometimes God will come by when you're just in your normal ho-hum. You've just got your mind occupied with your details of life and the cleaning of the stuff and the getting to the boat and oh well what happened? Beside that, they hadn't gotten any reward for that. Subcontract. I was subcontractor for 17 years. No work, no money. No work, no no money. But uh, sometimes this earth-shaking things happen. People usually like to be around their families. They like to see their grandkids. They like to to help be able to be around their families to help them in time of emerging. Emergency, how much more in this day, there was no Medicare, no Medicaid, there was no Social Security, no government to fall back on. But when God comes by, when he shows up, when he asks for your life, when he asks for your service, when he asks for your attention, when he asks for your future, how will you react? I know these men reacted. They were willing to leave all the securities I just mentioned, the family, and, the, and how much more important it was without all them governmental nets to fall back on, they had their family. She said, come, follow me. It didn't sound like they knew him well. 
It didn't even sound they had much time to get to know him. It didn't sound like they had spent time with Jesus. But one thing they recognized in their spirit through this situation, they recognized God had come by. Divinity had come by. And this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Or will you decide when God comes by and asks you to leave your mom and dad and asks you to leave your family, will you decide they're more important than God? Ooh, that's what the decision's all about. Or maybe they ask they ask you to leave your children uh, and, and leave or children leave their parents, and God comes by, and it is absolutely reasonable and normal that God does that. He did it to me. He asked me to leave my parents, the place I grew up. You say, well, Brother Bill, that was Elkhart, Indiana. Nobody's unhappy about leaving Elkhart. Let's look a little closer, verses 1 through 3. Let's just do an exposition here, a little verse by verse, and to see what it says. Number one, we see in verses 1 through 3, we see the opportunity. The opportunity. Jesus is preaching. The people are pressing upon him. Hear the word of God. Well, what a good time is that, amen, when people want to hear the word of God. They're pressing on him to hear the word of God. He can't. I've been in that part of the country, and, and it's, it's, it, it's it, the lake comes down, and then the hill goes right up from the lake. And what a beautiful situation and to get in a boat and to press out a little bit. If you know much about sound, your voice will hit the water and reflect up the hill. Gee, who knew about sound more than Jesus? He was the sound man of sound man. And, and he had him push him push the boat out. He got a whole period. Hey, come over here. Come over here. By the way, I think according to this, he got in the boat before Peter. He went and got in his boat and said, hey, come here and push out a little bit. Well, they knew Jesus wasn't your average person, and he had been teaching. And so he got out, and he got a little ways away. His voice hits that water, goes up that hill. The crowd was huge by this place in his ministry, and he begins to teach him. Oh, wouldn't you, did you ever imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus teach? The God of very God. The, the God of all that is, the one that designed and made everything your eye can see and your ear can perceive and your nose can smell. He's the God that made it all. Wow, teach me, let me know. And he began to teach them about life and principles of life and truth. And they were, they were hungry and they were listening to it. What it is, and what we learn from verses 1 through 3 is Jesus needs your help. God could do what he wanted to do without us but he doesn't want to do it without us. He needs you. Don't ever demean your importance in the kingdom of God and the affairs of the kingdom of God. The Bible makes it clear that it's Jesus' choice, it's God's choice to use people to do his will. He wants you. Remember that old, that old thing during war? Is, uh, the, the, the Uncle Sam says, I want you. You say, well, Brother Bill, that's good for Brother Moon. That's good for Chris. That's good for me. That's good for you. That's good for Doctor. No, it's good for everybody. Listen, God's not a respecter of persons. He wants your life in exchange for his life. As he died on the cross and gave himself for you. He could do it without you. He doesn't want to. But, but there's more to it. There is a bonding. There is a growth process that happens 
when you give your life and obey Christ in, in what he wants you to do, and that is a, that's a huge variety of what he wants people to do. But in that variety, there is a process that God is bonding with you. It's been said in wartime, people that share the same foxhole develop lifelong loyalty to each other. One stays awake for four hours while the other one sleeps. The other one stays awake for four hours while the other one sleeps. My dad did that on Saipan and Tinian and in Vietnam and other places where people had to go into foxholes. And I hear him talk about how the loyalty, lifelong loyalty, why? The process created a bonding. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. He wants to bond with you. But he can't bond with you if you won't cooperate with him. If a guy gets out of the fox, foxhole and goes down the way, runs away, they, you know, the process of war, though the war be tough and horrible, yet creates some tremendous lifelong loyalty friendships. And aren't you longing for something real in this whole world? He will come by. Another point we learn, verse 1 through 3, is that God will come by when you're at your busiest. Ooh. This is one of my real weaknesses. Is I want to get busy with the things of life and forget that God has a part of the thing. I want to get so busy that when God comes by, I say, hey, I don't have time for that. Can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you see what I'm doing? Mary and Martha, I think about that often. Can't you see what I'm doing? I'm encumbered about with all this busyness. But here at the church, we'll be doing it. I love Mondays because Mondays are my, you didn't know this, but I am not only the senior pastor of Gospel Baptist, but I am the senior janitor maintenance man. That's right. For the whole time I've been here, I've repaired, I've painted, I've laid tile, I've fixed, I've fixed root. I do everything and anything that is to be done. I help do it. I don't do it all, but I help do it. I've, I've planted, I've put bushes, I've trimmed trees. I do everything in any Why? I just love to do that. And sometimes while I'm in the midst of doing it on Monday, somebody comes by and says, they want to talk to you. And I'm like, can't they come another day? I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Bill, you're not the maintenance man first, and then the pastor second. You're the pastor first and the maintenance man second. I go, I have to say, I have to shake myself. Go, oh, okay, okay, let me meet with them. And sometimes they want to get saved. And here I am wanting to do this repair on this plumbing more than to lead this person to Christ and tell them about Jesus. That's upside down. But what I found is God will come by when you're busy in life. You're busy with all the details and all the things of life, and God himself will come down they were washing their nets. They had fished all night. They were shot. They were stupid, tired from the third shift. And what's he say? He says, I they said, I want to go home. I could just hear Peter. I want to go home. I don't want to get in a boat with this guy. He gets in the boat, goes out into the, into the deep, and he begins to hear him teach. This old rough, can you picture, have you ever been around fishermen? They're a rough lot. I'm talking about commercial fishermen. I'm not talking about these guys that go out on the weekend and fish with their fancy 25-foot uh, boats with 350-horsepower engines, and they run around the lake and do That's not fishermen. 
I'm talking about guys who pull the nets, who go out there and catch the stone crab, who go out there and catch the blue crabs, who go out there and catch the lobster pot. Those guys, I've been around them old Cuban, mostly Cubans down in, in uh, Key West where I, I hung around. And boy, them old boys are hard workers. And it's dirty and it's hard and in any weather and it's long hours, sometimes very little reward. And he hears Jesus begin to teach. I don't know what Jesus taught. He didn't say what he taught. But Peter began to understand that this was not just the average teacher that has come by. It was something different than that. Jesus will ask you to work for him sometimes when you're most exhausted, when you're shot. One time I was in the midst of studying, and on Thursday and Friday, those were sacred days to me. They're absolutely dedicated to studying to God and to prayer and to seeking His face and, and preparing sermons. And I remember I got a call on one Thursday, and I, one of our church members said, my uncle is dying. I believe he's going to die within an hour or two. Would you please come over? I said, really, you know, please. I am in the midst of studying. You know I have assistance. I have assistance. Would you call them? They said, no, preacher, we don't want them to come. We want you. So I said, well, you absolutely, can I come this evening? And she said, I don't think you're going to make it. And I said, I tried every way to get out of that thing, squeeze out of that thing. And, and, and she just said, no, it's got to be now, preacher. And I said, all right, I'll come. I was not happy. I hung that phone up and I said, God, you know that you called me to do this, and you know that I've dedicated these two days to do this, and you know I'm just not going to have anything to say to your people if you keep this interruption up. I was serious. I was mad at God. Flat mad. I thought, I am in no spirit to be going over to anybody's house and to talking to them about anything about Jesus. But I'm going. Oh, by the way, she told me, on, as a tip before I came over, by the way, every preacher's ever come to talk to him, he's thrown out. Oh, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I don't want to be there. I'm ticked off that she called me. And now I'm going over to see a belligerent guy? I thought, I'm going to punch him out. And so I go into the room. His name's George. He's in a bed. Hospice is set up in the house. I can picture walking in there, and I go, George, is that you? Yeah, it's me. I'm the preacher. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. So-and-so, I didn't want to mention her name, is concerned about your soul. I figured it would be the end of it, and I'd go home. I looked at the boy, and tears started running down the boy's face. I said, preacher, I know it. Oh, man. I feel about that high, maybe that high. I said, George, you know, when you die, you're going to go straight to hell. Because I, I wasn't in the merciful mood. He said, cheers now, run down. He says, I know it. Oh, man. This guy's being convicted of the Holy Spirit. This guy's going to get saved. And I led the guy to Christ. He wanted to be saved. And we prayed and asked Jesus. He died a few hours later. Now, you know what I did the rest of the afternoon? 
I went home and beat myself and whipped myself and beat myself and repented before God. God had come by and I was too busy. I was too exhausted. I was too tired and too involved. But praise the Lord, on just instinct, I said, yes, I'll go. What will you do when God comes by? These old folks, they said, we're going. Now, you know, he may have been grouchy. It doesn't give the mood of these boys. The mood, I think the mood of these boys was not, oh, great, this is good. Look at this. Throw the boat out here. I'm cleaning these nets. They got it. We're gonna, we've been up all night. Now, you know, they were exhausted. Forget it. No, go do it. They probably thought all that stuff. But then we see the impossibility of God. Look in verse 4. Now, when they left speaking, Simon, he said, launch in the deep and down let down your net. Woo! Most of the times God call on your life will not make sense to you. It will seem crazy. It will often seem impossible. It will very many times seem impractical. It, you, you as a Christian, as a born-again believer, cannot reason too far with God because you cannot see down the road. It makes his call on you may seem just all crazy or impossible and practical. Don't reason through it. Just simply obey. Look in verse 5. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. They were full of doubts. They had a list of reasons why not to do what he said. Cast out your nets into the deep. Come on. They toiled all night. They had just cleaned their nets. They were able, by the, by the way, Jesus, we're professional fishermen. We know that you can't catch these kind of fish, which probably were tilapia, by the way. I've been over there. The guide said they were probably tilapia. They were vegetarian fish. They were not caught on hook and line. And the only way they could catch them was with a net. And guess what? They didn't have clear nylon back then. You could see them. So you don't let your net down in the water if it's visible because fish don't like, hey, let's go swim in there. They, they, you, they fished at night because the fish were not able to see, and they let the nets down, and the fish would be run into the net unknowingly, and then they would draw them up and catch them. So these were professional fishermen. Everything Jesus told them to do didn't make any sense. Go out in the broad daylight, let down these real crude, visible nets, and fish, we fished all night, we're tired, we're exhausted, we just cleaned the nets again. As soon as we do this, we're going to have to bring them in and clean them again. By the way, our father was a fisherman before us. And we're fishermen. And look in verse 6 and 7, the blessings of simple obedience to God. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break, and they beckoned their partners, and they were on other ship. And they come and help them, and they came and they filled both of the ships. They began to sink. Woo-hoo, donkeys. Tom Gillespie's here as a witness. This has happened to us. We were out fishing one day, out off a marathon somewhere, I believe, catching dolphin, not porpoise. Dolphin, Maui, Maui. And we began to catch these things. They surrounded us. And we caught 110, we counted them, just like 153 fish. All fishermen count their fish. We counted fish. We eventually caught, had caught 110 dolphin, and the boat, where the motor and the boat are, it, the water began to come over the back because we had overweighted the boat with fish. 
And my brother, which was there that day, said, don't catch any more. No more fish. We're sinking. And that was these fishermen. And it was exciting that we caught so many fish. We were sinking, and we couldn't. They filled both boats. And those both boats were so full of fish, they began to be on, right on the edge of the water, began to come in. Don't take any more fish in. We're sinking. The blessings of simple obedience to God are great. Everybody that served God in this room and serves God in this room knows it's so. The blessings of simple obedience, it doesn't make sense. It's impractical, maybe even seems impossible. But if God says to do it and it's right to do, do it. God calls you to teach Sunday school. I can't talk well. I've got a list. Do it. God asks you to be a bus captain and you don't like children. Do it. God asks you to do something for him, do it. For when you obey the simple command of Jesus Christ and simple, and when he asks you to do something and you do it, God, I find one thing about God, woo, does he have a way of rewarding those who love him, those who serve him. When I've obeyed in God in my life and inconvenienced myself for him, boy, did God make it up later. Woo, the boys, the old J Peter, James, and John, then the Zebedee boys, brothers, they knew this was a miracle. They knew that only God could do this. And all of their fishing and all the stories, and fishermen love to say stories. They love to tell stories about trips they took, fish they caught, how the day, ooh. And they had never even heard probably of anybody fishing in the daytime and fishing, filling their nets and filling two boats and sinking. They knew that this would go all over the place. And right away, verse 8 and 9, This isn't normal. Divinity is here. What the first thing Peter did when he realized this was miraculous, he fell down Jesus' knees. It's always the same. When man meets God, we look inward. When Isaiah came in the throne room of God, he says, Ooh, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I shouldn't be here. When Peter realized that he was, in the, he was in the place and in the presence of God, he fell on his face before him. And I think I got to believe Peter's a big old boy. Crude in language, crude in demeanor, strong, a leader of leaders. Big old boy. He falls down at Jesus' feet. Woo, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. When you get among around God, how you know you've gotten around God is the first thing you begin to see is your sin and your failure. People come to this church and hear messages preached from this pulpit, and they'll say, oh, preacher, I felt horrible when I left. Glory. For the first thing you do before you get right with God is admit you're a sinner unable to save yourself. And you won't, God can't accept you if you ride on your self-righteousness, if you ride on I'm not as bad as the next guy, if you ride on, hey, I'm better than so-and-so over there and I'm better than so-and-so, as long as your thinking is in that arena, God cannot help you. He will not come to you. He will not spend time with you. But if you'll go to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, unable to even lift your head towards heaven because of your shame. Jesus said that man went to his house justified. 
look in verses 10 and 11, the life-changing experience. They said, boy, this is God. He says, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. They brought their ships to land, and they forsook all and followed him. I don't believe you can be in the presence of Jesus Christ and ever come out the same. If, you'll come, if he comes, to, and by the way, he comes to every one of you by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. It's not God's will that any should perish. And God wants to save you like he wanted to save Peter, James, and John. He wants to use you in his kingdom just like he wanted to use Peter, James, and John. He wants to bless you when, after you've obeyed in simple childlike faith just like he wanted to bless Peter, James, and John. Let me ask you a question. It's been about 2,000 years since this event happened. Would it have been better if they stayed as a fishing business? How do you think Peter, James, and John are doing today? Do you think they're happy they forsook all? What did they forsake? <laughs> nothing. You with me? The fishing business compared to God was nothing. The future was nothing that they had compared to the things that God had for them. And trust me, when God calls you and God lays his hand on you, if you'll obey him, what you forsake really in comparison is nothing. Nothing. They forsook their family, their friends, their familiarity, their former employment, their fancies and their dreams, and they followed Jesus. And what did they get in exchange? Well, I can tell you, in 2015, in a place they didn't even know it existed, North America, I'm preaching about Peter, James, and John. That's how God honors those who follow him. Now, they don't want to be honored. They don't ask to be honored. That's not why they did it. They just recognized Jesus for who he was. And they recognized themselves for who they were. Leave me. I'm a sinful man. You don't go to God beating your chest saying, I got a lot to give. I got a lot of talent. I got a lot of abilities. I got a lot of work ethic. I got to do this. I do that. Don't do that. Don't start naming your qualities with God. It's the wrong spirit. It's just the wrong spirit. Go to God and say, I'm nothing unworthy of the least. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8? He says, I'm less than the least of all the Gentiles. Has this beautiful gift been given that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to them? Wow! Paul was a doctor of doctors. He was the he was the head of the head. He, he said, nobody lived under the law better than I live. Now, he didn't say that in pride. He said, in reality, I have kept the law for me. And yet he said, I'm a nothing. I'm less than the least of even these Gentiles. And, and the Jew looked at the Gentile as a dog. I find people that are in the will of God do not think highly of themselves. They think highly of he who saved them. Where are you today? Has God come by your house? 
You may not know this. But God is looking for you. There may be some in this room that do not know this. But God's looking for you. And let rest assured that He's going to come by your, your house. Don't miss Him. Don't miss Him. Ask Him to help you recognize that. Like Peter, James and John recognized that. Father, help us today. May the Spirit of God use these simple, simple story. Simple story of a few fishermen and Jesus teaching. May it help us to realize that Jesus is going to come by our house. It'll be at a most inopportune time, very likely at a busy time, possibly when we're most exhausted. And will we recognize who he is? And if we do, will we say, Oh, I'm something. Or will we say, I'm nothing, Lord, but use me. And he told Peter, oh, you're going to catch, you're going to keep fishing, but you're going to catch man. Father, help us uh, through the trials and tribulations and through the struggle of it all. May we bond together. May we bond. And walk as hand in hand, as it were, father to son. God, we pray that you'd call out of this body of believers your people. There'll be some here this morning, no, not for sure. They, in fact, this sounds alien and foreign. May they turn to thee as you come by with thy Holy Spirit. Please come by, show them thy will. Let them, let them hear thy voice. And they say yes. In a moment, we're going to have invitation time and give an opportunity for you to say yes. Why don't you take it? Why don't you take it? Peter fell down to Jesus' knees in front of all his buddies, in front of all those guys he'd worked with, his dad, his dad's hired servants, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, all of them. He fell, in, he fell down. He didn't care who was there. He didn't care what the embarrassment was. He knew God was there, and he didn't want to miss him. That's what you got to do, starting with the invitation time. If you're worried about what people think, you're probably not going to do much for God. But if you'll throw off what people think and throw off your reputation and say, Lord, I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman, I want to do your will, I don't want to miss you, God will come to you and he'll make himself abide with you. Help us, Father, to see it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.